Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare, business, and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Well, that's who you think you are, John. Now, there's a mental health moment going on, and it's being led by Gen Z. I don't know what generation comes after that. But you've got people like Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, Meghan Markle, and they are prioritizing their mental health over other things like work. And the same is true for celebrities, non-celebrities in ordinary jobs. What do you make of that? Well, I think finally, as a country and as a system, we're looking at people as we should, as integrated wholes, where the mental is associated with the physical. I don't spend as much time on Us Magazine, people, you know, E, uh, internet trolling the celebrities that you do. But I think if you look more broadly, David, outside of even the social set you aspire to, there actually is a fair amount of, of, uh, of data supporting the fact that we need to deal more effectively as a system and as a society with mental health. And, and, and now is a good time to do it, particularly given all of the, the stress and attenuated, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, concern about, uh, an uncertainty around the pandemic. Well, John, yeah, I don't like to spend a lot of time looking at the data because then I might have to change my arguments. But I would say we know that there's been tremendous strain on the system of mental health in the pandemic and also from a very good thing, as you mentioned, about people being more open about their mental health problems. Now, the thing is, with all this demand for mental health, the system better be ready to help out. And I want us to talk today, John, about some of the innovations that are occurring in mental health care coming out of the pandemic. Some of these were already underway beforehand, but they've all accelerated. So now you're going to go substantive. I thought you were going to stick with your celebrities. I mean, because I think there's a fair amount of nonsense associated with the celebrities. But the core stresses and strains, think of what's hitting essential workers, David. Think of what, you know, cops have to deal with. Think about um, just the nature for certain families, the stress of being cooped up and potentially losing their income. There couldn't be a better time than to deal with this issue. And so I, 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 I do think it's ripe for innovation. And let's let's be honest. The system's not ready, so we 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 so we better innovate around it. Yeah. Well, John, I thought when you were saying substantive, you're going to be accusing me of substantive abuse, which is never the case with me. So listen, I, well, I think there's some good things happening. You know, so I'll tell you a whole heck of a lot better than the defund the police idea is complementing law enforcement when they go out on emergency calls with people who are trained as mental health workers. Much better to go out and defuse the situation. Uh, than just to send a bunch of uh, cops in there who probably don't want to be there anyway, dealing with the mentally ill. Well, I, I think it's very nice that you want to compliment people while they're flying out to their emergency uh, incidents. But I mean, if you look at the data, you know, we've effectively as a society since the 60s deinstitutionalized a significant proportion of this, those who are seriously mentally ill. I mean, people with things like schizophrenia, paranoia, um, some very serious long-term conditions with the assumption that somehow they would, these are the people with the biggest stresses and the biggest risks of going, of having, having, having mental health challenges, uh, are going to somehow find a therapist, find a, a drug regime, and they're going to be fine. Well, those folks are now on the streets. Uh, many of them are committing uh, small and serious crimes. And, you know, the majority, I mean, it's like 80% of, a, of cops around the country have had to deal with it. So it is, you know, it is ripe 50 years after sort of the explosion of pushing of this, this massive social test that we could take people out of 
difficult institutions and risk that they could be mainstreamed um, to start to um, support uh, the, the, the cops or frankly any first responders who are walking into a situation where someone might be seriously mentally ill. Because frankly, that's not what the police are trained for, um, nor frankly is it their purpose. Um, so I, I actually am excited about that. Uh, we just have to fund it and support it so that we don't end up um, with 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 a, a different version of the problem we've got now, which is the people who are really focused on physical security, containment, and control are dealing with people with you know serious mental illness. John, we've gotten very used to calling 911 for any kind of a problem or disturbance, and that's one reason that the mental health uh, people who are mentally ill end up in confrontation with the police. So one of the solutions that's being pursued now is a national direct dial suicide prevention hotline, another three-digit uh, code, 988, instead of 911. And this will also allow texting. You know, in the COVID relief bill that President Biden signed earlier this year provides additional resources to be able to staff up this uh, national hotline. It's pretty good because, you know, if people have uh, a mental health concern, they may fall into different segments. So a veteran is different than a teen, and you can direct them to the right resource. So I think this is a good way uh, to be helpful and get people away from 911 and over to 988 where they belong. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, well, there's no question that that suicide helplines, uh, counseling, uh, particularly crisis counseling to de-escalate, makes a lot of sense. But we've got a long way to go as a society, David. You know, the, the Nas National Society for Suicide Prevention—I forget the name of the organization—for years has said the sensationalization of suicide, the 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 the, the language we use around people who are, who, are, who, are, who are taking that last horrible step is in many ways exacerbates or increases the risk of more suicide. You know, we lose you know, veterans every day to suicide. And I think to some degree, if we start to institutionalize the way we not just care and support folks, that we actually t find the right language to talk about the stresses that can lead to uh, this risk for suicide, in addition to putting those helplines out there, it would it would really help mitigate the circumstance. I mean, David, since night, I think it's since uh, since 2000, um, suicides per hundred thousand people in the U.S. have risen by 33 percent. This is you know we talk a lot about the opioid crisis. We don't talk enough about how this mental health crisis, which is sort of a vague, important catchphrase. Uh, is crystallized in this really spike in the ultimate failure of a society to prepare some, to, pro, to prepare and care for some of its most vulnerable. There's no way a society that in many ways as successful as ours should be spiking. Uh, and this is, this is before, uh, uh, COVID. It's before the pandemic. I mean, that's a, that's a serious public health problem that we need to address. And I think that the, Helplines a start, but we really need to focus on this and focus on all of the mental illnesses that are tied to diseases of despair, opioid use, alcohol, um, uh, the, 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 the perception of limited opportunity and the reality of that, that feeds into this really a suicide crisis. 
John, you know, the suicide crisis may be even worse um, than the way the statistics represent it, because hidden within some of these opioid overdose deaths may actually be some suicide. So it may even be worse. Well, let's talk. I thought we were going to talk about innovations and ways that this is being addressed. I know let's one go there, I David, like, John. There, 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 are, there are some good ideas. Um, yes, I just yes. want to really crystallize and articulate why we keep coming back to this. This is a serious public health crisis. Yeah. It's gotten worse in the pandemic, and we've got to get the innovation. All right. So I, we, get, we talked about one, the mental health workers. Another one I like is virtual reality. You know, so if somebody has anxiety well, of course. or depression. Of course, of, course, yeah. there, of course you like virtual reality. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. You've always had a hard time with reality. I have had a hard time with it, John. I don't see why, uh, why I should have to deal with it. But it can be helpful. You know, a lot of times with treatments for things like anxiety, uh, you start kind of simulating the environment that you're going to be in, and then you practice going into it. Well, virtual reality can help a lot um, with that. And so there's, there's something that's in it. I also think that telehealth, which has been used everywhere during the pandemic by necessity, actually is particularly good for mental health, especially if a patient is anxious about coming into the office or a hospital and leaving their house. It can actually be a useful way to draw them out, and you can observe and treat them in their home environment. I mean, yes and fine, but telehealth, first of all, it allows us to get more time and get more access for mental health professionals, you know, psychiatrists, to psycho, psych, psychiatric social workers, to counselors. That's wonderful. Um, but we have a severe scarce. I mean, while suicide is spiking, demands for... Um, you know, quite considerable demands for mental health services are spiking. We've kind of got a fixed supply of therapists. So there's only so many tele video consults, only Zoom consults, secure Zoom consults we're going to be able to absorb, David. I mean, what do you got outside of that? Because that, that's sort of like a, yeah, yeah. That's a, a weak, one-legged stool of an answer. <laughs> I got something for it. It's like, I guess a one-legged stool is more like a pogo stick, right? We got to keep jumping up and down on it in order to get any, uh, uh, get any traction. Focus. Well, so Focus, I'll you, David. One thing, I, one thing I like, John, is the AI and smartphone assisted therapy. So, you know, there's AI chatbots. And there's some, like, way back, was there, who was it? What was it? Lisa? Who was it that you, you know, you asked the question and said, how are you feeling about that? But it's going are you well talking, Are you that. talking about an old girlfriend? Yeah. Of mine or yours, John? Um, <laughs> is that one and the same? So the, the smartphone side, you know, they can do a voice analysis and actually analyze speech patterns about stress and anxiety and can track your trends. So even in the con you know, outside of the context of an appointment, just in a regular everyday life, talking on the phone, you can, you know, the AI can actually track what's happening. And the data that's generated by that can then be used to help make the therapist more efficiency, more efficient. They can see what's working and see where the issues are. So that's what I got beyond the pogo stick, John. Well, I, you know, this is where, you know, <laughs> smartphone is dumb in so many different ways, but what the, the ability to take a, uh, uh, the sound of your voice and to interpret intention and uh, emotion is actually could be kind of powerful. I just don't think it's ready for prime time, David. I mean, do you think 
Do you think your phone is capable of dealing with your issues? I mean, when you're when you're when you're sad and lonely on and on a business trip, do you talk to your phone? And does your phone talk to you, give give you counseling? Like, what are you talking about here? It just I, mean, I don't know. Theoretically, theoretically, the 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 phone. I mean, there's a lot of great software that can tell that can cue people around basic emotions, but it can't read your mind, it, and, it, and it certainly can't. I mean, what is it actually doing to solve the problem? Well, it's helping as an early warning uh, signal. And so you know you know where to spend time versus somebody who just likes to talk uh, to their therapist. Certainly the technology is ready for prime time. John, as you know, when you call into a call center and they say your call may be monitored or recorded, uh, the monitored part of it is exactly this. They're looking at the speech patterns. They're looking at who's angry. They're looking to how many times you say the F word uh, to determine you know what to, what to do with you. The same kind of technology can be whether applied you call, here. Whether you were on the other side of that call. Yeah. That's the only word I know, John. So, now, okay, I got another one for you. Digital therapeutics. Now, this is a way to basically do cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of those forms of counseling that actually works well, and it has tremendous potential in mental health. And you're seeing employers are interested in this because their workforce is coming back to work and they're having mental health uh, challenges. Um, and well, what, is, kind of new... what, is, what, is, what is cognitive behavioral therapy? What does that mean? It means CBT, John. It's like CBD almost that, uh, that, you, that you like. So it, it means training your mind to react to situations uh, differently. So instead of, um, you know, it's often used, for example, to help people who have trouble sleeping. So you reprogram your brain uh, so that when uh, you, you get ready for bed, you can actually go to sleep as opposed to stressing out about everything. So there's a whole kind of approach to do this, and you can do it with a therapist, but it's actually ideally suited to do uh, in an app and digital therapeutics. Now, sometimes I am skeptical about this. It's like, am I really going to be prescribed this thing? And I know how, you know, we usually say in America we have a pill for every ill. And it could go to having an, an app for all that crap. So I do worry about that. Well, other than your, other than, you know, your sort of, uh, Burma shave jingos, I mean, jingles, are you, I mean, what are you saying here? It sounds like you've got a foot in both canoes. I mean, are you making any progress on either of these ideas? I am, John. So I would say here, you know, just maybe to finish up that there's been tremendous, uh, explosion of mental health problems during the pandemic and frankly, even beforehand. And we always talk about, you know, how hopeless it is. It's not a, not a therapist and so on and so forth. But I think today we talked about a couple of interesting things. One is if you've got a new generation exemplified by the celebrities, and not just the celebrities, that is realizing, hey, I need to take care of my mental health. And then you have some real innovations, most technology related, but also I think significantly one, the first one that we talked about, about having mental health workers play a role in emergency response and having this 988 national number. So I feel pretty good about it, John. And we talked about something meaningful and we're going to help people. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the possibilities, I mean, I think there's over 10,000 or there are thousands of mental health related apps. And I think that for those who are comfortable with it around basic therapy, um, around 
uh, 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 training yourself, the, the, your mind, the way you train your body in a health club, leveraging digital therapeutics. Heck, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know that all this other stuff is really ready for prime time. We've got a lot of people with very serious mental illness issues. David, you've raised a, a you know bunch of ways that we are going to try to retune our system, but we are in a crisis moment regarding diseases of despair, of suicide, and anxiety. And I, I think that we, if, if we were to take this as seriously, serious mental illness, mental health-related uh, 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 diseases and, uh, and, and challenges, as seriously as we take cancer, we would, be taking, we would be committing substantially more resources. And the challenge right now is to make sure the resources and the innovations, which are there, as you said, are commensurate with the challenge. But I think, I think we should leave it at that. All right, John, I would say keep hope alive, but we'll end Care Talk right there. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Centric. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe.